Uh, when was the last time you got on your knees to pray? Uh, I reckon probably we fall into two categories. Maybe for some of us, it's a fairly regular thing. It's just part of our regular routine and you just find yourself kneeling from time to time in prayer. Uh, for others of us, it's probably something that happens a bit more rarely. It's something like when something really urgent is happening, something really serious and something desperate is happening, that's when you kind of get on your knees and you pray. Uh, I know it's not physically possible for all of us, uh, if we, you know, for various reasons, but actually it's, it's more about the posture, isn't it? The posture in which we're praying. It shows where our heart is. Uh, so we can pray, we can kneel, even if we can't physically kneel. I think it suggests humility. You're sort of recognizing that you are weak, that you need God's help. But also that urgency, that sort of desperate need, that, that desire for God to kind of to hear you and answer you. We get on our knees. Maybe that's a challenge, isn't it? If we always tend to pray in comfortable positions and easy positions, or if we lie down and you end up falling asleep instead of praying. I know I've done that myself. Uh, that's not what Paul does here, is it? Look at verse 14. You see what it says? I kneel. I kneel. The, the regular posture of prayer in that culture would have been standing up and praying quite, quite clearly. But kneeling wasn't uncommon. But it was a sign that you know, he was passionate about this, that he believed this really strongly. He believed it urgently. He wanted this to, to, to happen for the church. He wanted God to answer this prayer. He's praying for his brothers and sisters. He's praying for the church there. But it's a big prayer, isn't it? It's a big, big prayer. And I'm praying that, actually, I have been praying that it would speak to us in the same way that it would encourage us to, to pray big prayers for each other. Uh, I think if we prayed like this prayer, it would change us as a church for the better. Because these are life-changing realities with eternal significance that, that Paul is talking about. If you don't know the book, he is writing to a church in Ephesus. Uh, and it's a church that he knows, it's a church that he loves. And he's just spent several pages, as we saw with communion, kind of laying out the glory of the gospel, the wonders of God's love, of his amazing plan to, to save those that he has chosen and loved. And ultimately to bring everything together under Christ. And he's about to kind of change from, from the first three chapters is, is kind of teaching the importance of the gospel and then chapters four to six is the kind of practical here's what you do with this here's how you live out the christian life and before he gets there he pauses and he prays for this church uh, and it's amazing isn't it verse 14 for this reason i kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name he kneels before his heavenly father that hum humility that urgency again it shows that God is creator of all that. That's, verse 15 is a bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? From every family in heaven and earth derives a name. It's just a sign that God is creator of everything. He made everything. Everything came from him. Everything came from his name, from, his, from who he is. So that's all he's saying. It's, it's just recognizing that he is the great creator God. And actually, in the original, verses 14 through to 19, it's just one big long sentence. It's like it just sort of spills out of Paul. He can't stop himself. Everything just pours out. This amazing prayer to God. And that's what we're looking at uh, today. And we're going to divide it into three. There's kind of three uh, that's that you see in the passage. And we'll see what that means for us. But the first thing, the first key thing he mentions is this, that, that he prays for God to strengthen us with his power. Verse 16 again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now I've spent a long time looking at this sentence this week. It's, there's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot of things to try and unpack. And actually I kind of I thought it, it makes sense, maybe it's made sense in my head to try and picture it, to sort of make a diagram to, to explain what this means for us. So let me try and explain it. We'll go through each bit and we'll see how it works. It says, from out of God's glorious riches. Reminds us, doesn't it, that God is infinite in his power, in his glory as creator of all. He is rich in mercy. He is in control. He is sovereign. And so out of his glorious riches, the creator of the universe, this is what we're talking about, his amazingness. Out of this, what happens? That he may strengthen you. That he may strengthen you. You know, the world around us, it, it teaches us, doesn't it, that you've got to find the strength to persevere and to kind of be who you want to be and to, to be the best. Where do you find that strength? You find it inside yourself. That's what you've got to do. You've got to kind of find the strength inside. You've got to prove yourself. Do it yourself. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, no, we are weak. We are helpless. You need to be strengthened. We need the help of God. This is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do ourselves. God strengthening us. How does it happen? It happens with power through his spirit. With power through his spirit. God is at work in us, even today, through the spirit that he has sent. And his power, what glorious thing to to think about his power. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, this is what Paul says about his power. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That is the power we're talking about here. The power of the resurrection, the power that Jesus brought Jesus back from the dead is at work in us. If this prayer is true, the same power for us. Where is this power going? It's going in your inner being. That's what it says, isn't it? That's where we're strengthened. It's not just a kind of head thing. It's deeper than that. It's talking about our hearts being strengthened, our lives, the core of us, the things that drive us, what motivates us, what pushes us forwards strengthens the, the inner being of, of us and why are we strengthened we're strengthened so that christ may dwell in your hearts that heart word is kind of the same concept as inner being it's all the, the same thing but what a staggering thought right that christ will dwell in us live in our hearts that this word dwelt it's like a permanent thing it's like when god moves in he, he doesn't move out again When we put our trust in him, we are united with him and he lives in us permanently. And so Paul's prayer is is kind of saying we we want to be strengthened to to, to know that, to understand this amazing reality, to live it out. That we will grow to be more like Christ. That we will reflect his presence in our lives. And how does it all happen? It happens by faith. We see that, don't we? It happens by faith. It's not about our own abilities. It's not about what we've done. It's about what God has done for us. And we saw, didn't we, in, in Ephesians 2, as, as Jim read, even that faith is a gift from God. Everything, it's all from him. He is at work in us. It's really humbling, isn't it? It's, that it's not about how good we are or what we're like. It's about how good God is, how rich his mercy, how amazing his grace is to pour out into our lives. That, Paul prays that would be true more and more for the church. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing for us to pray for each other? 
not just for us as a church, but for the church all around the world, that we'd be strengthened by God's amazing power, that we live out that reality that of Christ living in our hearts, showing the difference that, that God has made, li- doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. We pray for, for strength. But that's not the end of the prayer, is it? Next we see we're strengthened so that we can grasp his love so that we can grasp his love. We see that in the next section of the prayer, verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now that and I pray at the start there is kind of just put in for, to make it better English, easier to understand for us. Really, all that's there is it just says, it just connects through. It's like, that's you being rooted and established. So it kind of, it's all connected. It all flows together. So as Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, it talks about what's kind of already happened, doesn't it? We haven't been being rooted and established in love. That's already happened. We, we've been rooted. That's a, a farming term. It's like when you plant something and the roots go deep and it's solid and it's firm. You, you can't easily tear it out. That's what that term means. And then established is like a, a, a building word that, that you're kind of laying like a strong foundation. Well, you see it sometimes, don't you, on a building established on this date. You know, uh, it's talking about that, that kind of, it's strong, it's, it's made perfect and good. It's a solid place to start. We are rooted, we are established in God's love. God has, if we're trusting him, God has shown us that love. We've responded to it, we've come in faith to him. But Paul says that's not, that's, not, that's not the end. His prayer is that we would have the power to grasp God's love more and more and more. That's what we're praying for. It can be so easy, can't it, as we go forward in the Christian life to, to lose sight of his love for us. And we end up being really busy and doing lots of good things, but not really thinking about why we're doing them until we kind of feel a bit duty-bound and a bit burdened, like we've just got to keep doing this so that God can keep loving me. And, and then you slowly become more increasingly aware of your sin and you realize, well, surely God can't keep loving a sinner like me. Surely not. And that's why we need this power, isn't it? To, to grasp the incredible extent of God's love. That's what Paul's praying for, that we would grasp it. It reminds me of that old uh, kids' chorus. I don't know if you sang it uh, as a child. Uh, Jesus' love is very wonderful. Do you know that one? And in the middle it goes, so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get around it. Oh, wonderful love. That's what it's clearly from Ephesians. That's what this is talking about. This is Paul's point here. God's love for us is beyond what we can grasp. It's beyond everything. It's so much bigger than, than we could ever imagine. Can it be true? We might be sitting there thinking, can this possibly be true? Surely there must be an end somewhere to God's love for me. Surely I can do something, right? I could do something that would stop God loving me. Well, imagine you, you, you get on a plane, you're determined to find the edge of God's love and you take off and you, you, you start going around the planet and you're looking for the edge of God's love. And you go all the way around and there's no end. You think, well, this is amazing, but, but surely there must be a, an end to God's love somewhere. 
So you get researching, and you get designing, and you design a spaceship that can travel at the speed of light. And you take off into space, and I'm going to find the edge of God's love. Now, I've done some brief research. Uh, The speed of light is 670 million miles per hour. So uh, that's quite fast. And to get to kind of the edge of what we know as the universe, if we go at 670 million miles per hour, it will take just 46.5 billion years to get to the edge. So imagine somehow you could live that long and you, you take off and you go all that distance looking for the edge of God's love and you get there and you know what? There's still no end in sight. It's still going. It, it's wider. It's bigger than the universe. That is God's love for those that he has chosen and loved. Have you grasped that incredible reality? God's love is so big that you cannot get around it. That's what Paul's prayer is for the church, that they would grasp that they could never really grasp God's love. That it's, it's a, it surpasses knowledge. Do you see that in the, in the verses? It's a paradox. He wants us to grasp what we can never possibly grasp. It's beyond us. Isn't that amazing? That's why I want to change the middle point there. So that we grasp that his love is ungraspable. We can never understand it fully. It can never exhaust, it will never be exhausted. That's the amazing extent of his love shown to us in Jesus. But actually, did you see in the middle of there, it reveals something really important for us to see. We can't grasp this on our own. Do you see that? It's not a solitary mission taking off into space. That's not how it works. What does it say there in the middle? Verse 18. Together with all the Lord's holy people. We grasp the ungraspable love of God together. This is what we do as a church. As we're united to him in faith. As we remember we're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. We're all loved in the same way. That is the reality of God's love. And we we get it. We start understanding it more deeply if we get it together. Just have a look around. Just have a quick look around at each other in the congregation today. Think about that. The extent of God's love for us. Shown to us. There's nothing special about us, right? We're just normal people. And yet he loves us with this incredible love. The God of the universe loves us. The, the, The Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he laid down his life to save us. Because he loves us. Not because we love him, no. But it's from his own heart of his love and his mercy. It's not what we have done to deserve this. He pours it out in grace. I hope that's encouraging. I hope that's good to remember. Friends, if you're trusting Jesus today, if you're holding on to Jesus today, if you've turned away from that old life and and that sin and that pride, if you've accepted only Jesus can help you, only he can save you, you are loved. Loved beyond measure. You could never reach the end of it. It's love that shows you before even creation began. And your love with the power that made the universe. That's the one that working us, giving us that strength and that power by his spirit. It's big, isn't it? It's really big. And maybe we're sitting going, well, how can, it can't be possibly be true. It's too much, it's too much, it's too big. It can't be real. And we doubt, don't we? How could this be true for me? Well, first thing we need to remember is Jesus rose from the dead. Remember that? The thing that none of us can escape, Jesus escaped. 
death was conquered. He is risen. He is alive. He loves us forever. He is Lord of all. What great hope that gives us. He is alive. But when we are really conscious of our sin and we're so aware of, of the depths of our failure and we think, how could God possibly love a sinner like me that is constantly going astray, constantly getting it wrong? What do we do? We remember words like the words we read before communion. We were dead. We were helpless. But God made us alive through Christ and separated our sin from us as far as east is from west. Another one of those immeasurable distances. It's gone. It's dealt with completely. Jesus has taken it away. Past, present, and future. It's dealt with. It can't come back. That's what we can believe, friends, if we're trusting Jesus. If we know that, that there, there can be nothing stopping God's love for you if you're trusting Jesus alone. What a great prayer. What a great prayer. We should pray for each other and pray for the church that we would know that, that amazing, ungraspable love. Because if we get this, if we get his love, it changes everything. And that's what we see in the final part of the prayer. To be filled with his fullness. To be filled with his fullness. 3.19 at the end there. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled kind of to the brim, that's saying. Filled full. And that's the third kind of that in the prayer. Kind of flowing up, continuing on. He's praying that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Now, what does that mean? That that sounds like a staggering idea, doesn't it? Well, in the Old Testament, what was was filled with God was was the temple. Here's a verse from 2 Chronicles, verse 1. 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's what happened. In the Old Testament, God would be there in his temple. He would meet with his people. That's where they came to worship and offer sacrifices. It was filled with his presence. But we live in the New Testament. and In New Testament times, and there's no more temple. We trust in Jesus. So what, what does this mean now? Well, we haven't read Ephesians before, but if we had, we would see Paul explaining in chapter 2, that actually the church is now God's temple. Believers are where God lives now. We saw that, didn't we? He lives in our hearts. Ephesians 2.22. In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you see that? It's those ideas again, we do it together. This is, this is as a church together. But we're being built to become a dwelling where God lives in us. God at work in us, building us, making us stronger, making us more like Christ. And what's the ultimate goal of all of these things? Well, again, we go to chapter 4 of Ephesians and we see uh, something that kind of unlocks, I think, what, what Paul's praying here. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. See what it says? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That starts making sense of it, doesn't it? You see at the end there, this final aspect, being filled with the fullness of Christ, of God's. It's talking about that unity and that maturity in our faith. It's growing to be more like him. 
it's living it out more and more, showing his character, showing his love in our, in our lives, in our words, in our actions. It's kind of, it becomes more and more natural, like an outpouring of our lives, our hearts, just being like Jesus. And that's together, as his body, as his temple, living with him, being filled to the fullness of that glorious reality. So do you see, it kind of brings the prayer together, doesn't it? It kind of summarizes everything. For God to strengthen us with his power so that we can grasp that his love is ungraspable and be filled with his fullness. That should be our prayer, that as we live for Christ, as we worship him, that's the goal of our lives, to to grow, to mature in our faith, to be filled with his fullness. And it only happens with that great power that God provides from his glorious riches by the power of his Spirit. It only happens as we grasp the ungraspable love of God. That's what makes the difference. That's what transforms our strength, our ability to to live for him, to leave our sin behind, to to grow to be more like him each day, is knowing that love. I heard a testimony once that I found really helpful uh, by a man called Nate. Uh, And he explained that he kind of used to live two lives. He lived as Saint Nate and a real Nate. And Saint Nate was the kind of church guy, right? The one that would turn up at church and everything would be fine. And everyone thought he was a great guy and, and no one knew that there were any problems in his lives at all. And he knew all the answers and he knew how to say all the right things. But the real Nate was struggling. Big time with sin. Trapped, enslaved, had no escape, no idea what to do. The trouble was he believed that Jesus loved Saint Nate. Jesus Loved that one. He, he, he thought, I must try and pretend because that's the one that Jesus really loves. And what transformed him was the gospel was realizing that wasn't the case. Jesus loved him as he was and had died to take his sin away. Jesus loved the real Nate. And as he realized that depth of love and that mercy, that's what enabled him to change and grow and repent and live for Jesus to have new power over his sin and ultimately, that power leads us to mature, doesn't it? The power to mature into the saint that God has made him. That testimony really resonated a lot with me. I don't know if it did for you. Because I think it would be so easy for us to think, oh, God loves the kind of pretend saintly version of who I am. Right? The, the one that we've got to kind of come to church and put on this kind of saintly figure. Even if we've had a terrible week and we're struggling in all sorts of ways, I, I can't show it to people, can I? Because God doesn't love the real me. God loves the kind of saint me. That's not what the gospel teaches us, is it? Go back to Ephesians one more time. Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When? Even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. On our worst day, friends. On on the day we, we committed the most despicable sins. God loves us. And Jesus died for us to to save us by his grace and pour out that love beyond measure into our lives that we cannot escape. That's what we need to grasp, isn't it? That's what transforms us. That depth of that love for us, the mercy shown to us, undeserving sinners. That's what helps us grow to be filled with his fullness. That's what we need. This is a quote I found really helpful as I was preparing We will not be fully mature until this love is planted in our hearts. 
We will not live as God's holy ones until we know that we are first of all his beloved ones. We will not treat our neighbours with mercy until we apprehend Christ's mercy towards us. We do not know anything about Christianity until we know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That's really helpful, isn't it? Just that, that clarity. If we get God's love for us, it kind of unlocks the Christian life because it transforms everything. The Spirit is at work in us by his strength, helping us live these things out. Friends, we must pray these things for each other. For the church, if we grasp them, if God is at work, if God answers that prayer, it will transform KCC. It will transform our love and our unity and our, our witness. We'll be filled with deeper and deeper joy and passion for Christ. We will be filled with a deeper desire to share it with other people. Will we pray? Well, will you pray like Paul prays? Will you pray big prayers for each other? It is a big prayer, isn't it? It's bigger than perhaps we're, we're used to praying. There are lots of good things to pray for. Lots of important things. But if we're not praying the big, eternal, significant things as well, we're missing out. We're, we're, we're not asking for God to work by his power in our lives. So maybe have a think about that in your home groups. When people ask you, what can I be praying for you? Don't just immediately think of, oh, you know, I've got a stressful week or I'm not feeling very well. Say, I need God's strength to grasp his immeasurable love. Would you pray that for me as well? That's what we need to pray for each other, isn't it? And if again, if you're sitting there thinking, there's no way, it's impossible, it's not going to work if we pray like this. If we're struggling to believe it could ever happen, let's see how Paul ends this prayer. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here we go. Maybe we've forgotten. We think, who are we praying to? We're praying to the sovereign Lord, the maker of all. The one who is filled with glorious riches. And what can he do? He can do immeasurably more. The concept again, immeasurably. We can never get to the end of his power. Immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. He can do those things in our lives. That's what we're praying, we're praying about. We're praying to the God who can do these things. Who has shown his great power in rising Jesus from the dead. And that same power is at work in us. So my friends, let me encourage you to pray. Humbly on your knees if you can, urgently for the church, for each other, because God deserves the glory, doesn't he? he? And it says he will show it in us, in the church, forever and ever, for eternity, as we're filled to the fullness of God. Let's pray big prayers. Let's pray confident prayers that he will do what he promises. Now, normally, I would just close in prayer at this point. But I thought, there's no, we can't just do that today. Surely we've got to pray about these things together. We've got to. We've got to pray that we would grasp his ungraspable love together. So I'm going to put the points back up on the screen. There they are. And I want us just to turn in just small groups, maybe in the rows you're in, just between twos and threes, uh, and pray for each other. Pray these things would be the case. Pray big prayers for us as a church and for the church more widely. If, if you're uncomfortable with that, then just say so there's no embarrassment. If that's not something that, that, that you're used to doing, that's fine. And actually, if you're not a believer, then 
you might find that hard, then just be honest. There's no embarrassments. But if you're not trusting Jesus, maybe you've heard something today and thought, well, I'd love to know that love that, that is ungraspable, that, I, that could never be exhausted. And if that's the case, you could maybe pray about that instead. So we'll take a few minutes to pray, and then I'll draw us back together and close the service in a few minutes. Let's just break into groups and pray. We draw our prayers to a close. close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your incredible love for us. Thank you for this incredible prayer. 
Would you help us to pray big, rich prayers, eternal prayers for each other and for, for the church? Would you, would you help us have a great vision for that, that growth? Lord, would you help us to, to, to pray constantly because we know your power and your might and your love and your mercy and all that you've shown us. Would that motivate us to pray more and more? And would you, Lord, would you please be at work in us as a church? Would you help us grasp these amazing things and transform us and help us live for you? In Jesus' name, amen.